It's only been a short time since the NEHT's General Secretary stood before conference in Telford and used the phrase, a dispute for the heart and soul of education. It's indicative of the candour you'll hear from Paul Whiteman as he sits down with James Bowen to bring us this extra and incredibly important episode about the ballot that's coming out in the post to you. Progressive ideas, conversations from schools and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. The sector, as we know, is facing a wholly new era of union collaboration and cooperation as concerns over these key tenets deepen and become increasingly grave. Paul speaks of destructive workload issues, an accountability framework that hampers and contrives to impede, and of course, the question of pay, its funding, and the recruitment and retention crisis. Before you vote, please hear this striking conversation. Engaging content and revealing insights. In conversation with James Bowen. Only a couple of months down the line and we've we've got you back on, Uh, but of course things have changed quite a bit. Uh, And one of the reasons we're doing this is because here we are a few days away from ballot papers being posted out to members and we want to have a conversation about the ballot. But let me start by by welcoming you and, and thanking you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, me back, James. And I can remember the tone of our conversation last time as being uh, one of optimism, actually, uh, and hope that we were going to find solutions to some of the difficulties that our members face. You know, the recruitment and retention crisis, the pay issues, funding issues, and workload issues were all going to be part of negotiations. And unfortunately, what we've seen is the government has come up short with what was needed. And now we're in a, a really serious situation. So I'm pleased you called me back. I wish it was for better circumstances. But no doubt we're going to discuss how we've got to where we are and what we need to do next. Yeah, let's start with that then. I mean, obviously we covered a bit of this last time, but uh, we are almost on the eve of of balloting members. Can you just take us through what has led us back to this position where our National Executive Committee have decided they do need to ballot members again for industrial action? What's What's the sequence of events, do you think, in your mind that's brought us to this place? Members will remember that uh, way back almost a year ago now, when the um, pay review body made a recommendation pay in 2022-23, it wasn't a fantastic recommendation, but even be it short in terms of the quantum for our members, they the government came forward with no funding uh, to make sure that pay rise could, could be made without making severe cuts. Uh, into into school budgets. And that was really what got under the skin of our members at that point. It wasn't just uh, the poor offer, but it was the fact that they were going to have to make redundancies to pay what was coming forward. And we found ourselves in dispute with government. What we found was, was that, you know, after some really difficult times, including an indicative ballot and a ballot for industrial action, we managed to bring the government to the table for negotiations. Um, that wasn't always easy. We had colleagues in the NEU actually taking strike action uh, and colleagues in other unions um, as part of the dispute as well. And that's a path well trodden, I guess. But we got into negotiations nonetheless with all the unions uh, and we were full of hope and optimism, optimism about those negotiations. But unfortunately, the government's offer was the lowest offer made to any of the public services and it wasn't fully funded and on top of that the workload reductions and some of the things we were trying to get agreed around inspection and accountability were whipped away from the table when our members said it wasn't enough so quite a spiteful response to our members saying that the the response wasn't enough in any event 
and we always promised our members that once negotiations had ended, we would ballot them again. Uh, and we've actually had two ballots since making that promise. Uh, the first one was on the actual government offer, 4.5% um, for next year, plus some workload reductions, uh, plus £1,000 uh, for the £1,000 lump sum for 22-23. That was roundly rejected. Um, and therefore, we find ourselves in a position where that first ballot says, well, we need to consider industrial action to take it further forward. And, and interestingly, just on those numbers, on that consultation ballot, the hardening of our members' attitude really does demonstrate that government has got this wrong and has completely miscalculated the feeling of the profession. So we were out to electronic ballot for about a week. We had a 65% turnout in that week. It took us a month to get 65% the first time around. So that shows the it's kind of the level of anger. 90% um, of our members rejected the pay deal, with 78% of our members saying they wanted to be balloted for industrial action, including strike. Um, and that's phenomenal uh, in terms of the level of anger. And that left us with no choice, really, other than to go to our National Executive Committee and our conference a week or so ago and say, well, the members are saying they want to take action. Are you prepared to endorse that? And both the National Executive Committee and conference said yes. So here we are with another industrial action ballot. So that's how we've got here. It's not as simple as saying all we're doing is just rerunning the same ballot as last time. There's a bit of a difference this time around, isn't there, in terms of the nature of what we're talking about when we're talking about balancing members and we've sort of broadened some of the things we're talking about. I would wonder if you can talk about how this ballot is a little bit different from the last one. Yeah, it's moved quite a lot. So the law around industrial action meant that we had to be very, be very clear about the, the basis of our industrial action ballot last time around. And it has to be part of what's called in technical terms a trade dispute which has to be around terms and conditions. Now, terms and conditions are sometimes very widely defined, sometimes more narrowly defined. And we were very careful last time around to make sure that the issues we were balloting on were very easily understood as being pay and the funding of that pay. Now, all of that tied into recruitment and retention issues, uh, but we were concerned at that time that some of the associated issues like workload and accountability issues weren't so obviously attached to an industrial action ballot. What's changed this time round is they were put very firmly on the table by government at the time of negotiation. Government was very clear with us that they weren't able to meet our ambitions on the finances in terms of the amount of money being paid into members' pockets. Um, but they were clear that they wanted to meet our ambitions on funding and they wanted to therefore discount our ambition, if you, if you like, or to, or to give us progress in other areas that meant we would be more patient on the financial elements. Of, of our claims, if you like, and that was to do a deal with us over reducing the workload and reducing the pressure of Ofsted and other accountability measures. And if members go back to the offer that was made, it covered those areas. It covered pay for 2022-23. It covered pay for 23-24. There was a claim that the pay rise was fully funded, albeit we couldn't see and members have rejected that claim that it was fully funded. But it also included an ambition to reduce average working weeks by five hours a week over time. And it also uh, had uh, some nods in there towards getting some control over the disproportionate um, kind of accountability measures. All of that was part of the offer. Now, because that was rejected and it's been removed, we say that is all legitimately part of negotiations going forward. The government put that on the table. So the dispute now is very clearly about pay, yes but very clearly about funding. And that was probably the most important part to our members the first time around was the funding of any pay settlement. And that's that's up front and centre now, um, alongside the, um, the destructive workload issues um, that our members face every day, which is really driven by the accountability framework that we have. So all of that is part of a wider dispute now, and we're seeking satisfaction 
on all of those issues. I think what's really important about that, James, is for our members who have, you know, who have never um, in England taken the decision to take strike action in pursuit of a dispute like this, um, can see very clearly that their drivers, the things they're worried about, I, I described it at our conference as a, as a dispute for the heart and soul of education. Those drivers about keeping people in, not just about pay, but about those wider issues, are really part of this dispute this time round, and therefore a vote in favour of taking action is really a vote in favour of trying to find a solution which is more than just money. One of the things people often say, and we saw it last time around when we were about industrial action, there's often that kind of, why can't all the unions work together to this? Why can't they sort of coordinate themselves? I think it's fair to say that this time around, that's exactly what's happened. Uh, and I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how the, the different education unions are coming together and, and are working together uh, on this particular issue, particularly around industrial action. Yeah, and this is a really interesting question. I've been reflecting on this quite a lot. We're, as a profession, not really programmed for taking industrial action, actually. Um, the teaching unions have more experience of it than the leadership unions, um, but it's been more traditionally locally based over local disputes. This big national dispute is the first in, in decades. It's the first in a couple of generations, actually, in terms of saying to the government, enough is enough. And we all came at it with a similar intent and talking to each other, but, but with our own kind of audiences very much in mind last time round. And what's happened over the period of negotiation with government is we've all seen that government actually is not coming at this with the same intent of saving education and improving education. And that has really focused our minds as, a, uh, as trade unions to work together and to, and to coordinate to make sure the message is fully understood. That's a really simple way of saying over a long period of time, we've been bruised together try to solve things together and we've won small battles and lost big battles together and therefore we we now see that actually it's a prerequisite of success um, that we're going to have to work together and I'm very proud of the fact that all the you know the general secretaries came together at our conference a couple of weeks ago uh, and declared in a press conference openly and publicly that we would work together and um, for the good of education and for the good of children in the education system to prevail upon government to do the right thing and to settle with us uh, to make sure these disputes go away. So working together is a central part um, of this dispute. I suppose it's worth mentioning in case people aren't aware that there is a we are indeed coordinating our ballot periods. So the unions, although probably they're not precisely the same, but very, very similar in terms of our balloting periods. And I suppose that the question might be, and we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves until we, we see the outcome of the ballot, of course, but is there an intention should we get there in, once we get that ballot result to actually sort of coordinate the action itself? So we might see the unions taking similar action at similar times. Yes, uh, and, and very clearly that's what's in mind. Actually, not only will we, will we campaign together and negotiate together, but if we have to take action, if we get to a point where we haven't moved government, because I, I still hold out a hope, and I'll come on to this in a bit, no doubt, but I still hold out a hope that we will gather around a negotiating table again and find a settlement before action takes place. I, I want to be clear with our members that listen to this. Uh, uh, taking action is not an end in itself. Taking action is an action on the road uh, to finding a, a, a solution. But if we have to do it, we do it together and we coordinate it. That's how we have the best impact. And I also think that for our members, a lot of the feedback we got through the dispute and the strikes of the NEU last time around was the discomfort our members had about seeing their colleagues fighting for education and coming into work at a time when they were fighting for education. And that's because we couldn't give them legal cover to join 
the dispute at the NEU. So that's why it's very important that we all do this together so that we kind of make the point together at the same time. So it will be coordinated. I get a lot of questions at the moment about, okay, when is it going to happen? What's it going to look like? Um, it's too early to tell you. Um, and I know that's a real frustration for members because in their heads, they want to begin to prepare for that already. But there are significant stages in this process. One is registering the dispute with government. We've done that. The second thing is them asking our members if they want them to be balloted. We've done that and have told us, yes, they do. The next thing is the ballot. And if we get a legal mandate, that's the point at which we have to sit down with our own executive committee and representatives and other unions and say, okay, do we need to take action or are we in the middle of negotiations and therefore we can delay action? And if we do need to take it, what does it begin to look like? So I know that's incredibly frustrating for people, but I wouldn't want to go ahead of ourselves and begin to signal action when actually at the moment it's not necessary because that begins to say to the public we're intent on action rather than solutions and actually what i want to focus on is saying to the government we will take action if we have to but i'm more solution focused and i want to meet you around a negotiating table rather than just keep talking about taking industrial action and similar to other unions uh, on our ballot paper this time there is just the one question that again is slightly different from last time whereas last time we asked about action short of strike and then separately, we asked about a willingness to take strike action. This time, there's just the one where we're asking members whether or not they're prepared to take industrial action, including strike action. Can you just explain sort of the rationale behind having just the one question this time? Yeah, and I think really it's the activity of government that drives us there. Um, so the government has shown itself to be so distant from what's happening in the profession, so out of touch with the difficulties that are there. Um, that actually there needs to be, if we, if we have to take some form of action, it needs to be sharp and it needs to be meaningful. Longer term uh, actions that are typically characterised as actions short, shorter strike and normally take a, a lot longer um, to have any impact. And actually we are now almost a year into this dispute uh, and we haven't yet found solutions. And, and actually coordinating action shorter strike would be very, very difficult indeed. So this is about making sure it's a it's a demonstrable protest and a meaningful protest to government. Uh, government feels it uh, and it's simplistic and it's easy to coordinate between unions. So that's why a, a single question on that ballot paper. But I underline this, what we've heard from members and what we understand is, is that this is not about disturbing the education of the children in their care. And therefore, whatever we coordinate will be to make a demonstration to government rather than to have a long-term impact on their education. But it's very, very clear to us that the government is having a long-term impact and, and destroying young people's education. That's what members tell us every day, just through their failure to maintain the education system properly. And this is where our members have been very clear to me that this is a dispute for the heart and soul and protection of education rather than just how much money each of our members has in their pocket, although that is part of it. One of the things members will see this time, or see in our communication, we're actively sort of saying that the national executive are asking you to vote yes for strike action. That, that's a sort of a clear message that's coming through the emails and the messages they'll receive for, from you and the national executive. Could you just explain why it's so important to get that yes vote and why it is that we're actively asking people to vote in that way? Look, when we're on this path and we're in dispute, we, the, the, the only the kind of lever that we have, the only lever trade unions have in the final analysis is industrial action. If you say this isn't good enough, but continue doing what you always do, then the government will never be moved to change its stance because it's never going to come willingly and say, oh yes, we did, we did wrong to you last time. We're going to put that right. And we're very sorry. So this is, this is about demonstrating that as professionals, you mean it and you're prepared to take action to make your point. But for that to happen, there are legal thresholds that we have to get through that are designed 
for us to fail. They are deliberately designed to make it difficult for trade unions to have that level of leverage. So look, we need to make sure that more than 50% of our members vote. And that's what we didn't get through. That threshold is the one we didn't get through last time round. So look, of course, we want you to vote in favour of the action because that's what the National Executive Committee and our conference has determined is necessary. But the first important thing is that you vote. So if you're sitting listening to this podcast and you think, I don't agree with you, Paul, I don't agree with the union, you need to tell us that. Actually, don't please don't just sit there and think, well, they're all going to vote in favour anyway. So um, why, why should I bother? Two reasons. One, we need to make sure we get through that turnout threshold. But a no vote is therefore as important as a yes vote, because if actually there is a, a weight of opinion that's in the majority that says we don't want to do it, we need to understand that and we need to understand it in a formal ballot. So if you don't agree with us, vote no, but you must vote. That's the first thing. Everybody needs to vote. Let's have your voice heard. That's the whole point of being a member of a union, is that your individual voice is heard and we amplify that into a collective message once we've received it loud and clear. That's the point of our democracy. Second reason, though, is we have determined that the only reason, the only way to move this government is with an act of solidarity and, a, and an action that will demonstrate how, how wedded or how committed our members are to this. That's not always easy. It's not supposed to be. But by doing it, you do underline how important this is to education and how important it is to the children in your care. So, so when you do vote, put that X in the yes box, please, because that's what will give us the power uh, to properly negotiate with government. Yeah, I'll pick up that final point you said about, yeah, the negotiating with government. I suppose there are some people that would assume that once, you know, if we cross a threshold or we get that that yes vote, that kind of industrial action and strike action then becomes inevitable and it's going to happen. But I think you kind of touched on this earlier. Is there still a chance that, you know, at some point between now and, and the autumn term that actually we do get back around the table of the government and the action isn't necessary. Hope we've got the mandate for it, but we don't need it because we've got back into that kind of negotiation and hopefully got a, a, a reasonable offer. Is that is that still a possibility? It has to be. Um, yeah, I'm a 30 years or so career now in terms of uh, trade unionism, of being a trade union official of one description or another. And it teaches me one thing beyond all others. Every dispute is solved eventually. Um, and it's at what point the parties on either side of that dispute say actually now is the point to do it. Um, and my main appeal to government is you have a huge recruitment retention crisis. There are many factors at work in that recruitment and retention crisis. All of those factors are now on the table. The only way to solve this is to talk to each other. And we stand ready to talk to them without precondition um, right away. And they need to come and talk to us without precondition. Um, and let's sit down and let's find a solution. And I think yeah, what we will say to them, I say it publicly and I say it privately to them as well, we are not so naive to think we can solve all of our problems in one negotiation. But the first negotiation has to be a, a, a significant building block to solving the issues on, on, an ongoing, on an ongoing basis. We are sitting recording this, as I say, a few days before ballot papers go out. They'll be, they'll be posted by our scrutineers on uh, Monday the 15th of May. So that means our members can hopefully expect to get them at some point in, the, in next week, as we sit here today in those days that follow. What is it? other than the very obvious, that you you want members to do when those ballot papers land in, in the next week? Well, let's talk about the very obvious first, um, because it's worth underlining. As soon as that ballot paper hits your doormat, take it out of the first envelope, put an X in the yes box, or if you can't do that, at least put an X in a box, and put that back in the return envelope and get it in the post the very next morning. Um, don't delay. Uh, what we know is, and we know this from human nature and human behaviour, if you stick that on top of the microwave or you stick it on the pile of bills and everything else that you've got, 
you've got busy lives, everybody. I live this every day. It's the most important thing to me right now, but it's not the most important thing to you right now. So I know it will sit in that pile of posts and very many people will lose sight of it. So do it immediately, get it done, get it out of the way. The other thing though that I'd like you to do is be proud of the fact that you voted. Whichever way you voted, be proud of the fact that you've taken part in your democracy and tell everybody. You don't have to tell them how you voted, but tell everybody how you voted, including tell us. So there was, there's a page on our website and there'll be instructions in the envelope of how you can log on and just tell us that you voted. Don't have to tell us how you voted. We just want to know that you've cast your vote. And if you do that, we won't pester you with emails and telephone calls and everything else. That's the, that's the bonus bit. But more importantly for us is we know, therefore, how many people are voting and we know how close we are to getting the right turnout. So vote quickly. Uh, tell us that you voted. Be proud and tell everybody else that you voted and encourage your colleagues and friends around you to make sure that they take part in their ballot. Now, we're all balloting over a similar period, so you know, talk openly in your school about taking part in a ballot. Fellow members of the NAC will be encouraged to take part in their ballot, but you might also encourage some, uh, some of your colleagues who are members of other unions to return their ballot paper as well because it's just important for all the unions to get those returns as well. What would your message be to that member who opens up the ballot paper and their pen's kind of hovering? They're a bit in two minds, not entirely sure which way to go, but, you know, understandable reasons, they're hovering above it. What would be your sort of final message to the, the, the wavering voter, if you like? It's time to stand up for every day that goes by where, by doing nothing, we are complicit in the government's decisions that are eroding the quality of education and meaning it's impossible for us to recruit and retain the right staff. Do you know... I think they're going to be down to about half the number of people they need to recruit in secondary this year. And, and we're going to be a, a big, significant number. I think it's about quarter short of what we need in primary if the if the predictions are right. That has to tell you there is something wrong with, the, with education as a profession. And we all know, because members tell us, that it's workload, it's unfair accountability pressures, and it's pay. Unless we solve those things, unless we stand up as a profession and say to government, you have to bring solutions to those problems, there is not going to be a recognisable profession left for young people coming into education over the next few years. You are all brilliant at making bad ideas work. You are all brilliant at keeping the show on the road, but you can't keep doing it for any longer. And now is the time to say to government, you've got to step up. You've got to work with us and you've got to make reasonable decisions. And I think the two points I'd end on then is this is... You're only asking for reasonable things from government uh, and you're doing it to make sure you preserve education for young people. So it's a, it's a just cause and you're not asking for the world, you're asking for what's reasonable. Thank you for joining me. We'll leave it there. I'm sure it won't be too long uh, in before we get you back again. Uh, I'm sure at some point we'll be asking you for an update as to how things are going or when, when we get the result in, there'll be a, a further conversation. So... Um, yeah, we'll get you back on nice and soon. But for now, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and for being part of the podcast today. And James, Paul Whiteman, the NHT's General Secretary in conversation with James Bowen. Thank you, as always, for listening to the School Leadership Podcast. All of the future episodes we put out can be yours. All you need to do is subscribe on the app wherever you usually access the podcast you like to listen to. I'd also like to add that we're always very keen to hear your feedback, what you have to say about the podcast. If you can make a few minutes to write an online review, that would be much appreciated. NEHT is a professional association and union for school leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NEHT member, 
go online to neht.org.uk forward slash join. That's neht.org.uk forward slash join. And on Twitter, our handle is at NAHT News. Until next time, take care. For regular and useful content on the teaching profession, it has to be the School Leadership Podcast. The School Leadership Podcast. The School Leadership Podcast. The School Leadership Podcast.